everyday life issues broken down to help you build your own opinions on the issues that matter most. Coming to you from Austin, Texas, this is The Deciding Factor with your host, Alton Hill and John Herzog. Hey everyone, I am John and here is my buddy Alton sitting next to me. What's up y'all? Uh, we are actually doing a show for the first time in video, so uh, we'll see how it turns out. But today's show is actually going to be what does it take to become a successful entrepreneur? And we actually have a guy that's going to be joining us here. His name is Mike Watts. He is an experienced entrepreneur who has six startup companies under his belt, including founding three consecutive multi-million dollar companies in the last 10 years. Mike has also successfully exited those three companies from his, including one that he sold for over $6 million and even struck a deal. Yeah, struck a deal with Damon John from Shark Tank. If any of y'all remember him, I believe he also did FUBU, right? Yeah, he's pretty pretty famous guy. Yeah, so uh, what was really cool is... We found this guy, and he's also here in Texas. He actually uh, goes to College Station and is a guest professor for Texas A&M. Unfortunately, I'm a Longhorn fan, so I'll I'll let you slide (laughs) on that one. Uh, But he is also the active uh, CEO of Love Handles as the fastest-growing American manufacturer of patent custom smart grips. Uh, They're like the uh, pop sockets, but it's slightly different, right? And uh, so he was also listed... In the uh, Fortune <laughs> yeah. 5000, Mike is currently launching his own business podcast, The Mike Watch Show, which uh, we'll get into as well. He focused on sharing details of his stories and failures and successes throughout his startup journey, uh, journeys, uh, accumulating in a, uh, actionable and practical advice and, uh, and inspiring entrepreneurs. He also actually is doing uh, constant, um, uh, what do you call them? You're giving speeches constantly, right? Yeah, it seems to be that a lot of that these days, a keynote speaker. Yeah, yeah. keynote speaker. Sorry. That's the kind of where you get paid. <laughs> nice. We're, we're still working on that. But, you know, Mike, Mike uh, you know, it's really great to have you uh, visiting with us. And, man, we have been looking forward to this. I know we've been kind of playing phone tag and everything, but uh, glad you're on. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, it's an honor to be here, Alden and... Uh, John, I appreciate the, the opportunity to share the story. I was with some fellow Texans too. All the better. Oh yeah, yeah. So we're in Austin, and it sounds like you're in Houston. And uh, we'll we'll go ahead and post your address on the links below. So so make sure y'all go and <laughs> yeah, bug him. Definitely. So hop on by. <laughs> so uh, how's life been? Especially uh, you know you've got your company, and we've got COVID that hit. Are y'all still actually pumping out strong? Yeah, it's been a it's been a bit of a bumpy road. You know, um, coming out of the gates in, in January, 2020 was shaping up. This is our sixth year in business, and 2020 was shaping up to be our best year yet by a long shot. Wow. Um, and we hit the trade show circuit real hard. I actually did 13 different trade shows before COVID. And wow. so I pretty much living on the road, and we had tons of big orders. We do a lot of promotional products of other brands that want to put their logo on our phone grip or we'll put their logo on our phone grip for them, and then they'll give it away at trade shows. We found this way to attach it to business cards so that kind of is like a business card plus a gift. Wow. And it got to be very popular. But then all of a sudden, you know, it came to a screeching halt because 
trade shows are canceled. And so nobody has any personal interaction to give things away. And so we had to pivot our business over to our retail side, which fortunately was starting to take off. And it's particularly the e-commerce side with Amazon and our own lovehandle.com is, is really doing well. And so, um, you know, we have like half manufacturing and half marketing sales admin, uh, but then when COVID hit, you know, we had to quarantine. We were all under mandatory quarantine, like I'm sure you guys were. And so we all went home and we tried to figure out how to work from home. And there's only so much you can do from a manufacturing standpoint. Uh, yeah. And so I actually kind of got to get back to my roots because I've done every job here. So I call myself the janitor, you know, because <laughs> I, I just kind of clean up and do everything. But mm-hmm. it got to be uh, me and my two sons who both work here and my dad. And we were up here, uh, even my wife and daughter were here during that time because we had to make some jobs that were critical uh, for some retailers. We sell to Academy Sports, and they needed product because they stayed open during COVID uh, because they sell guns, which are absolutely necessary. And so we we stayed working, but it was just us as a family. So we called ourselves the quarantine, and (laughs) we kept rolling. But since then, we're back in business, and uh, we're able to, you know, safely work with you know, we're all donning in our masks everywhere we go and hand washing stations everywhere and trying to do the best we can. And so just yesterday we had our, had an actual case of COVID for somebody that had got tested last week that wasn't even here then. Uh, but precautionary we closed. And so it's quiet outside the off, uh, side of the studio here. Yeah, We'll be reopening Monday now that we've sanitized and we're, we're very confident that we'll be back in business, but it's, it's been a bumpy wild uh, 2020 to start. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, sure. that 2020 is when we started our podcast due to a lot of this COVID stuff. And, uh, you know, there, there's definitely some uh, positives to it, but uh, definitely some, some rough spots for, for everyone. But it's good that you're still going. And I did check out your, your product. You know, I, I can never have anything attached to my cell phone because I've got little kickstands and everything. So <laughs> I was looking at yours. And, of course, my daughters have the pop sockets, and they're obsessed right. with them. So uh, it was, it was kind of cool to see yours. Now, it, you can actually do all sorts of flipping uh, things with it. Is that right? Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a low profile. This is in the package, but um, this is the original love handle. And then we also have like, a, like an XL version, too, for tablets. And this will actually hold a laptop, too. Mm. So we use like a Space Age uh, 3M adhesive. On the back, it's literally the same stuff that they use on a airplane wings to hold it together. And so it comes with a little kit too for glass backs and silicone, uh, but we were able to get it really well on there. But it's super thin and allows you to hold your phone with one finger. Yes, yeah, so, is great because who wants to drop their thousand dollar iPhone? <laughs> you yeah, can flip it around the back of your hand, be hands free. You know, ride a bike or hold a beer, whatever you got going. And you're not going to drop your phone. Selfies, videos, all that stuff becomes easier. It's thin, works with wireless charging. So that's a kind of a bonus feature. It just charges right through it. And uh, so it's been wildly popular. People that use it kind of never go back. And it's funny that along the way, when we first started the company six years ago, nobody put anything on their phone. And that was our number one challenge was like trying to come up to somebody and say, Hey, here's a phone grip. They're like, why do I need it? I've got my hand. <laughs> why do I need your product? I don't, people I, don't stick things on I, the back of their phone. I, I'm, gu- <laughs> right? I'm guilty of that too. <laughs> Right, I don't do that. 
Um, but I got something to show you later, John, for sure. You're going to, you're going to want this one. Okay. Oh. It hasn't even released. So I gotta, yeah. I gotta put us on pause here for a second. Cause we're all on video here, but if you're listening to the podcast, just to be clear, this is like a little loop thing that just sticks to the back of your phone. And I want to be clear that what Mike is showing us is the one that he has, has a Texas flag. So he already sold me as a, I'm like a sixth generation Texan, <laughs> so you got me. But he forgot He forgot to tell you there's a deciding factor one coming out, and that's going to be the oh, number one I'm seller he's going to have. I'm sure that'll be. <laughs> be yeah, limited edition. It'll be a hot item, I know. Through the, the, the platinum edition, right? So, so Mike, yeah. I want to ask you something a little bit about um, yeah. with the coronavirus. And you, you said a word pivot which to me and my understanding, like that's a big deal right now because of, in my mind, it's like this black swan thing that happened that no one was really expecting. I mean, maybe we anticipated some amount of shakeup, some stock market correction or something, but the entire planet shutting down, uh, I, I didn't hear that prediction. <laughs> and so I think that left a lot of entrepreneurs, business owners sitting here going, okay, what what do I need to do to keep this thing going? And would you mind just speaking into that pivot? Like, what does that really look like to you? Was that you're up at 2 a.m. with your wife going like, how are we going to manufacture when we can't manufacture? Or, you know, kind of take us through how you approach that and maybe even your mindset around it. Is it, oh, no, we're all going to die? Or look at this opportunity we have. What can we do with it? Yeah, it's funny that you that you bring up the mindset because, you know, I feel like I've been in training for the last 15 years as an entrepreneur for this exact time <laughs> because there's been so many, not coronaviruses, but, you know, product failures or lost this major account or, um, you know, lawsuits or whatever might have come our way that seemed like it was the end of it all, right? And if you weren't, mentally prepared to, to deal with that. And I've had some tilted moments um, yeah. along the way where I didn't handle things well, but to be a successful entrepreneur, you got to know that you're climbing a mountain and you're going to, sometimes the, the rope's going to slip and you're going to fall for a little ways. And hopefully you can catch yourself and climb back up. Uh, but what's really the, the defining factor of success in my mind is that Delta between when an event outside of your control happens and the moment that you start moving back towards your goal or maybe a new goal because the goal is now shifted, right? Because you're in a different position than you were before. And knowing that the same thing happened, at least in this case, it happened to everyone. Yeah. And so everyone had this same setback. So it's an opportunity really to set yourself up for better success relative to your competition. And of course you don't want negative things to fall your competition. That's not the goal, but the goal is to win. And I'm a very competitive person. I'm the guy on Peloton that's, you know, <laughs> trying to win every single time and get first place. And, and that drive is very, very useful uh, as you become an entrepreneur and you, you work towards success helps you get up every day. But the mindset is critical that you almost expect things like this to happen. And when they do, you're not surprised. You're, you're not emotionally drained. You're like, okay, it's like a pro it's like trying to figure out, you know, an algebra problem or trigonometry. It's like, okay, here's our problem. Don't know how to solve it right now, but let's just, 
pick out the pieces we can fix now and we'll keep working our way through it. And it's a process. And I don't care if you're dealing with how to make products, because when I first started my very first startup, uh, the one I sold for, you know, so much money, I didn't even know how plastics were made at all, <laughs> but I was planning to make a plastic product. I just figured it out and just kind of start charging in. And if you have that mindset that I can learn it, especially today, because all the information is at your fingertips more so than it's ever been, then you can find success if you just never, ever give up. Wow. So plastics, it's funny you mentioned that because right as soon as I got out of high school, uh, my mom was working at a religious supplies warehouse. So they made those little uh, communion cups and they were only one out of five in the world. So I grew up around these molding machines and everything, and uh, it's it's unique. So you had all these, uh, what was it, Gaylords of plastic beads? Were you scaled yeah. back that far? Yeah, well, I learned what Gaylords of plastic beads were. I didn't know where <laughs> plastic came from. You know, like it apparently comes from oil. Turn the beads and believe the beads they put in, they melt it down and they put it inside a cap. Uh, here's the actual, like, this is the, the product that kind of made me uh, and turned our corner. Oh, yeah. I've seen and, those. Uh, Wait, say it again yeah, and describe it. The store. They still sell them at Academy and Walmart and uh, Home Depot, but um, not Academy. Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, Ace Hardware, places like that. But it's a pivoting line trimmer head. We had a t- very successful TV commercial that I wrote. and um so that's like for a weed so whacker we were making then. not just plastic pieces but plastic pieces that are going to spin at twelve thousand rpms yeah uh, that's funny i i remember yeah. seeing these ads and i was you know even what was it a month ago i was looking for a weed whacker and i was thinking what about those hard ones that you don't have to keep replacing or anything it's yeah. just beats Winding the crap <laughs> okay well let's 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 talk into that a little bit So, Mike, you just admitted that you didn't know anything about plastic. So what in the world were you thinking that you're going to make this this business, this product? But you don't know anything. You know, who are you to, like, think that you can do this? And I, you know, I'm he sounds pretty serious, jokingly. Right. But no, no, this is great. It's a great question. Like it's it's the mental blocks. I'm in this goal setting class right now. And, um, you know, we're talking about. Hey, what's, what's the goal for next three months? And I said something like the number 10. And then this other person in the class was like a million. And I just sat there and I was like, well, why didn't I say a million? And I had to think into, I mean, it's a different business, but still, um, I'm like, why didn't I say a million? And I think that if you're going to start a business, you're going to scale a business, someone who's been successful, like what is that process that's, that's happening that, uh, enables you to really think big like that. Well, it's funny. The other day, um, my wife said something to me about, um, what did she say? She was talking about uh, false confidence. Mm. She's like, because I was talking about something. She's like, Says, you, you just have you just have false confidence. Ouch. I was like, no. In fact, Ouch. I wrote it down because this is going to be a chapter in my book one day. <laughs> like, there is no false confidence. There is only confidence. Mm. You know? I know you talk about political, but look at the president, you know, it's a guy got elected with just unabashed confidence, you know, and some people would look at it and say false confidence, whatever, but confidence is something that you decide. And if you decide to limit your confidence in, in, in your ability to do anything, it's because you've allowed someone else to put that limitation on you. Mm. And 
you know, that's, and that's so common, right? And it could have just been, it could have been your parents that said, you know, for our family, this is all it's really reasonable, right? Reasonable is another one of those key words. <laughs> this is what's reasonable, right? 10 is reasonable. A million, that's crazy, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all relative. And so, you know, shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll be among the stars, all that stuff. Like, aim big. Go for the, if you only get one shot at this life, like, shoot big and, and just know, just have confidence in yourself and that you can figure things out and know you're going to make mistakes and that's okay. And yeah. that you're going to be able to learn through the process and just get onto the dance floor. And so many people sit on the side waiting for the perfect moment and the perfect information. And the problem is that when you do that, time is against you. And time's the one resources that you can't get back and you can't amplify. So the key is just to, to just go forward with what you know in the direction you think you're going to go and start to have a, just an appetite for learning on things that you're going to need to know to get you to your goal. So, so let's go back to your weed whacker uh, idea. Before you actually jumped into it and launched it and everything, uh, I'm going to assume you weren't rich or were you rich? Like what? <laughs> Not at all? No, no. Well, you know, so- I, grew, I grew up, you know, the very beginning I was, grew up in a trailer park. Okay. And then, uh, but I, you know, my, my parents worked hard and they provided what they could for me and they did a great job. Uh, but I went the traditional way. I ended up, you know, graduated high school pretty well, top 10%, just barely. I think it was 10.1, so I was out. But uh, I made it into A&M, which, you know, it's hard to do. It's unlike those other schools in Texas, you know. Let anybody <laughs> hey, 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 <laughs> hey. Well, uh, but I made it in there and I was following the traditional path, right? You know, go to college, get a good job. And so I did that. I went to college and I got a good job. Now, along the way, I always liked to have money and my parents didn't have that extra money to give me. Right. And so I had a, a job the entire way from the time I was 15 until the time I took my, you know, job offer from the electric company in Houston, it was 13 different jobs I had cause I get bored easily. Right. But I think that's a good quality. So if anybody's out there listening and you get bored easily, you know, congratulate yourself because <laughs> you know, you are the type of person that has the qualifications to be successful on your own uh, because you have an appetite for learning and constant stimulation. That's a good thing. He called and me successful. So, Remember that out. Hey, I, I got yeah. one box checked now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Woo. Finally. somebody. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, then I went and got my corporate job and, and I did that. Like I gave it all, I gave it my all for about seven years and, you know, was kept thinking that they're going to, and they did recognize me some and they moved me up some, they moved me from being an engineer to public relations because I like to talk so much and they put me in front of a microphone and started giving speeches, but it was about electric safety and things like that and deregulation as it happened. And, but they wouldn't compensate me relative, you know, uh, proportionally to the amount of value that I was bringing, Mm. especially if I looked in the cubicles around me and said, okay, let's stack these contributions up. Right. It's like, (laughs) well, not this year. How about a 3% raise? Yeah. Next year, not this year. How about a 3% raise? And I felt like it, was, it wasn't even a glass ceiling there. I was on the 33rd floor of a skyscraper in downtown Houston. It was a concrete ceiling. And I could see it. And I, wasn't, I couldn't go north of that until I'd been there a certain amount of time, um, knew a certain amount of people, and needed to be a certain age to even reasonably move up that building. And it was just so frustrating to me. And so 
my wife uh, and I, well, she had our first child. It was the year 2000, Y2K. Uh, computers didn't melt down, but uh, we had our baby. And every, all my priorities changed. She handed me a Rick, Rick's Dad, Poor Dad book that Oprah oh, Winfrey had, yeah. had Robert Kiyosaki on. Oh, and she yeah. saw this and she bought the book for me, gave it to me, read the book, changed my life, said, we're starting a business. Yes. And we did. We started selling uh, products at craft fairs. And um, uh, this was the, the very first one. This is the last package I have of this product that we were selling. This is my first brand, Rain Sorb. I sold this company for $6,000. Craft crystals. Uh, about four what years after I started it. And then they're just little polyacrylamide crystals um, that will soak up water. So if anybody's seen Orbeez yeah, out there that, yeah. uh, that people, you know, kids play with them and they shoot them out of guns. They stuff, stole them from you. That. Uh, <laughs> maybe so. Yeah. Uh, Sounds I used like to go awesome. to Austin uh, over there to the Palmer Auditorium and sell at, uh, at the home and garden shows. And that was our weekend gig. So the advice here is, that, you know, start one step at a time. I didn't quit my job. I was doing stuff on the side. And then we started traveling every weekend, every holiday, a few sick days here. And we started traveling around and, and doing a side hustle. And that's where I ran into the guy that invented this product that was the, the Pippa Trim oh, and yeah. realized that finally there's a product that I can control because he had some intellectual property and patents. And so that's when finally I mortgaged my job, my mortgaged our house, uh, or put all our chips in the middle, quit our job, and, and off we went. Wow. Okay. Great. So this wasn't your idea. This was a guy you met, and you decided you were going to be his partner and scale it for him. Wow. That's right. Yeah. In fact, I'm, I'm not smart enough to come up with my own inventions. You know, I, uh, <laughs> I have to find people that have these golden nuggets, um, and then I'm a great marketer, but these guys are great inventors. And then by, by sort of partnering up, they can keep inventing. So then he developed new trimmer heads that we launched later on and are still available today. And I was able to keep marketing. And so it's like a marriage, you know, where the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts that that partnership between marketer and or licensee and licensor is really seemed to work well. So I've done that three times. So speak into that a little bit more for those of us who may be in that camp that they're not as smart as maybe an inventor, but, uh, but they might be able to help market what did, what did that look like? And, um, yeah, yeah. Tell us, how did you find that guy? I mean, how did that relationship come together? I can tell you it wasn't well, it over was, tender. That's <laughs> not tender. No. Was, was it, was, it was interesting. You know, YouTube I was video ad. It happened, was, <laughs> the picture. I was at the, it was in Houston at the Houston home and garden show, the big one that they have in the springtime. And at that point, I kept adding products, right? So I had these crystals, but I was mm -hmm. the only one that could really sell those because it required, I was like literally Billy Mays pitch guy. Yes. I had the microphone, wait, I had more. lights, I was elevated up. Nobody was getting past me without getting a hard pitch. <laughs> they were going to have to tell me no, right? In the early days, I would, I would close them and I would hand them over to my wife. She would swipe the card and I two-year-old would be under there watching veggie tales under the table. Nobody was the wiser, you know, that was our life. And uh, we hustled it together, made it happen. But then I started adding, we had uh, a yard decorations, those little butterflies, those crappy butterflies. You see them on a stick, <laughs> no. the wind blows and the wings flap. Uh, I started importing those from China. And, uh, and then I was able to scale that out and distribute that to other people. Cause that was pretty easy to sell. So I had other people working under me at other shows as a win-win proposition, I would book the booth in Atlanta 
find a couple in Atlanta that wanted a weekend gig, provide the product to them. They would do the show, pay me for whatever they sold, and then um, ship me back anything they didn't sell. And then it worked out great. So I was able to scale my efforts. But uh, all that to say, I was at this show, the biggest show of the year in my hometown. I had five different booths in there, people all over the place. I also had these wooden airplanes, these cars, motorcycles I was bringing in from Vietnam. I used to set those up in the malls at Christmas time, kiosks. And uh, I had those there, little replicas of F-16 fighters and Shelby Cobras and stuff. And um, So I had that. So I had this stuff all over the building. And then, of course, I had my rain sword because I was still the only guy that could actually sell the stuff. <laughs> and so that was my kind of home booth. And I was going to check on all my other booths, and I walked back to my home booth. And just one aisle over was this guy, Orlando Jerez from New Orleans, who had driven over and was had this product and it was a much cruder version. This is a simpler version, the easier to make version. Yeah. Um, but his demonstration was what it was all about. He had a plexiglass box with a chain link fence on the inside and he had electric weed eater with this head on it and he was hitting it against the fence unabashedly grinding it on the fence and the line wasn't breaking that very morning I had fought with my weed eater and <laughs> knew that whatever he had going here, I needed it. First for myself. And once I started talking with him and understand that he had invented this, I was now like kind of light bulbs went off. I was like, oh, here we go. And his light bulbs went off too because he had had trouble selling his idea. He knew it was good. He didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. But here, and then I took him around the show and said, look at this is my product and this is my product and this is my product. And he's like, we should work together. And as it turned out, the next week they were had like back-to-back shows for some weird reason. So he came back the next week. I had an extra big booth, so I gave him half of it for free. So I was like, me and him need to work a deal. Yeah. And Friday, I'm, I'm there Friday setting up. The show opens at 2 o'clock. I'm behind the table at 2 o'clock, and I poke my head up like this, and in walks my boss from the electric company. <laughs> now, I'm supposed to be at work that day. <laughs> oh, somebody got fired. I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh, so how was that conversation? It was very short. He, he looked at me and he, he took a photograph and he said, I've seen everything I need to see and turned around and walked out. That was it. Or did he know you were moonlighting and he was checking in on you? What, how did that happen? I think I got, I got ratted out by some coworkers yeah. that knew what was happening, you know, yeah. a little jealousy maybe, but, um, and I, trust me, I always did my job there more than, more than my job. Um, but Nonetheless, it was a divine moment because I looked over at Orlando I and I this. said, man, I think I just got fired. <laughs> and I'll never forget. He looked at me and he goes, well, we better make a deal then. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that gave him the upper hand because he knew you were losing your job now. Maybe so. Maybe so. But it, it, I think he liked the idea that I was now going to be able to focus all my attention on his product yeah. if we didn't make a deal. So, so you talked about confidence, but it also sounds like there's – kind of some luck involved because you just happened to be at the right place at the right time to meet this guy. Well, he didn't just happen to be yes there. Dude's that's, grinding, that's true. calling in sick, going to these trade shows. <laughs> Wasn't no accident. And he's loading it all up in his truck. You know, right. I mean, shipping stuff to Atlanta. Well, yeah. No, look, there was a lot going on and I'll, I'll say it like this, that the previous show where I found him, I was not the only person at that show. In fact, there was 30,000 people that went to that show. Mm. 
I was the only one out of 30,000 people that saw the opportunity mm. with him. Right. Boom, and the, the reason I knew it was an opportunity is because I was in the game and I, and I'd seen the frustration with selling these yard decorations was awesome, man. I was turning cash like crazy. I'd go out and do a really good show. I'd walk back home with 10 grand in cash. Wow. I had a little, I had pumpkin, I had a pumpkin at home that had $30,000 in it at one yes. point, right? In cash. <laughs> and uh, we reported all that income for sure. But the, uh, the point was, <laughs> sure. I like the next more show, and I'd show more, up the Mike. next show, and there would be somebody selling the same stuff because every single one had a little tag hanging off at the end of it with their manufacturer's name. And so they were like, oh, look at all that money that guy's making. I want to yeah. do that too. And they would show up, and now it's a price war. Nobody wins. So when I saw this product and said he, he said he had some patents pending on it, I said, okay, well, now finally I can put my effort into something, to an idea, to a product that delivers value to the world and that nobody's going to go out and steal it from me. Yeah. So, so going back to why I asked if you were rich when you first started is because I like several other people that are wanting to be op- entrepreneurs. You know, we get this idea or this company that we want to start and we start going, we start researching, we build this business plan, we've got the model, bam, we hit a wall. How are we going to get this thing started? I mean, it can be as simple as 50,000 or maybe it goes up to, you know, half a million just to get your business going. How do you get past that wall if you are not financially set. I'll borrow a line from uncle Damon, John, who says, take affordable steps, right? You don't have to complete your business plan in one fail swoop. You need to peel off a small provable section of it that you can uh, take on. And that if it fails, that you're not going to be out of business completely. Right. So, it's not a race. Know that it's a, it's a marathon. It might be a race, but it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so just try to find something you can do to move yourself closer to where you want to be, but without breaking the bank. And, you know, money is one of those things that it's, it's a problem like anything else. And, you know, it's, it's a solvable problem. Now it might be Kickstarter. It might be you bring in investors or it might be that, you just, you know, lower your short-term goal to, 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 to fit the budget that you do have. But it's just another piece of data out there for you. Um, if you can just focus on finding a way to deliver value in the right way to the, to the end user, whether it's a service or a, a product, um, then that value will come back to you, and then you can scale that up. So, you know, another reason I bring this up is Alton actually shared an article with me and he keeps rubbing it in my face all the time. He says, there's, there's an infinite amount of money out there. You just have to get it. And that's what he always says with me. And I'm just like, you know, okay, how do you do that? And uh, you had mentioned you sold your house, I think. You mortgaged your property. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. It, was there any other tricks to it or, or was that pretty much it? And then you took off. So the details of that were, and again, I, Alton's right, right? There's always a way. But for me personally, uh, when I worked for the electric company, we had a pension back in the day when they actually had pensions. So I cashed my pension. From the day I got out of college, I was maxing my 401k, mm. right? 
I took a huge loan against my 401k, uh, which I saved over the seven years and it had gone up. Um, and then I had been saving, I had my pumpkin, you know, <laughs> with my cash in it that I had saved up. And then I partnered with my dad who had some resources. Right. And then turns out I, you know, you never, this is a big deal about relationships. Everything comes down to people in the end. Right. So in our building, I was the weird guy that always cashed his check. Like everybody else had direct deposit. I had a physical check and I would literally take the check on payday and I would go downstairs and I would cash the entire thing. And I would stand in the bank lobby and hold my money because I needed that affirmation. I love it. And then I would keep a couple hundred, put it in my pocket, and then I would put it back and deposit it. And the bank manager thought I was hilarious for doing this. He thought this was the funniest thing ever. Well, it turns out I'm sharing my plans with him, uh, got to know him really well. Well, when this happened, this was back in Washington Mutual days. It was the Washington Mutual branch. And you could go down at that time and write a, do a signature loan for 50000 bucks. Stated income loan. You could. He's like, okay, well, fill it out this way, and uh, we can give you fifty thousand bucks. You know, you have to pay it back. But huh. I was like, okay, great. So there's fifty k plus my pumpkin plus my pension. You know, and then uh, that, and so now we're fifty fifty, and we we pulled the cobbled together about two hundred thousand bucks between the mm-hmm. two of us. Mm-hmm. Two, and we needed it because we spent fifty thousand dollars on a lawyer just to hash out this deal. Uh, these lawyers wow. and then uh, Orlando, he knew he had a good idea and he was mm-hmm. already $70,000 into his patent work, mm-hmm. right? He'd already mm-hmm. spent 70 grand. So he wanted that money back. If I was going to take over the patents, he needed that money back. So I wrote him a, we had to write him a check for 70 K 50 K went to the attorney. So we started out at 120 in a hole. And uh, so we had to start the business operationally with, with only 80. And we did run out of money later, um, and we then we, that's where we reached out to aunt, uncle, grandparents, brother, everybody pitched in at a turned out to be an excellent valuation for them because when we <laughs> sold the company, everybody that was a big party, uh, and so that's you know. But each along the way, we just <clears throat> like blind faith, if you will. You know, I'm a I'm a Christian guy, so I mean, just feel like God's constantly like open doors for me as I've gone through this process. And he kind of keeps me at bay. He keeps my bank account, you know, pretty thin typically because it keeps me humble, but you know, you just got to swing the bat. You're not ever going to know for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. So Mike, let me, you mentioned confidence, right? And now you, you use the word faith. And then you said that you convinced your dad to, uh, to jump in on this venture with you. So I have four daughters, John's got kids too. You've got children. Um, if we want to raise children with that entrepreneurial spirit, that, Mm -hmm. uh, not false confidence, right. And that faith that they can do it and they don't need to see those roadblocks. Like, can you tell us a little bit, maybe some of the things that your parents did or things that you're doing with your children, um, you know, other than the veggie tales under the, uh, <laughs> under the table that, uh, you know, that maybe other people, because uh, it sounds like you're, you're starting this, right? Like you were raised, like you said, in, in the trailer park and now things, lifestyle is probably a little different now. And so, you know, what should we do as parents to pass that on? 
Yeah, so well, that's an excellent question. And for all the parents out there, just know that uh, it's really simple, like the basic needs of your children, you know, is that they're loved first, right? And, and you have to be know that you're loved and really believe that you're loved to, to have that self-confidence we talked about earlier to, to move ahead. Uh, but then about part of that is that you, you just speak life into them and tell them that if they don't hear you say that you can accomplish anything, then they don't know that they can accomplish anything. The words of a parent are the only words that re- really matter the most to a child, in my opinion. And so if they hear that time and time again, you're amazing, you're so talented, you're so smart, you can do anything that you want and you set your mind to, and I believe in you, you know what's going to happen? They're going to believe you. Hey, I'm feeling pumped right now. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm thinking back. But that's oh, so man, true. Man. Like, it is. If, no, if for you, sure. And if you have that self-confidence, that is so powerful. Whether you are an entrepreneur, whether you work in corporate America, you're going to be the person in the room that people gravitate to, that they ask, you know, advice from, because most people don't have that and they crave it. And so it's so important as a parent that you plant those seeds of confidence in your kids. And my parents did that, my mom especially. And then I kind of skipped over the the story about my parents. My dad left Dow Chemical. He worked out for 25 years and they gave him a package out one day, right? The, The whole social contract between the corporation and the employee is gone. It was really gone for him too. But he took his money and invested it in, in tables and chairs and margarita machines. Hmm. And he started a party rental business with my mom that's uh, today very operational. It's the largest in the southern Houston region. And uh, my mom and my brother run that business. And then me and my dad run Love Handle. But they were the first to step out in that entrepreneurial hmm. space. And my dad always kids around that he used to go around selling rocks. Uh, people just felt sorry for him because he thought they were cool, but they would just felt sorry for him and pay him. But he's always kind of had that hustle too. That's like, what, what was it? Kawasaki. What was it? The, the toothpaste? He, he was taking the nickel from. Yeah. That man. man. Mold, molding nickels, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fe- felony charges right away yeah. at a young age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. So then I guess let's talk about your, your current company, the love handle. This is the, the one where you signed the deal with Damon and uh, Mm -hmm. he's, he's one of the guys on shark tank, but this was done on shark tank. You signed a deal with him on the side, right? Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a neat story. Um, You know, this, this was my third licensed product. And fortunately, I had all this experience that I could take to the inventor to convince him to give me the rights to his patents because he knew he had a winner Yeah. and was making these things in his basement in Minnesota. A friend of mine brought me the product on a Friday. I didn't think much of it. I was like, I don't stick stuff on my phone, you know, typical answer. Saturday, you know, I'm laying, laying on the couch and I got my phone above my head and I'm not dropping it on my face. And I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and Sunday I got my phone flipped around the back of my hand and I'm holding beer watching football. And I'm like, okay, well, here's a winner. I like this product <laughs> Monday. Again, this is just like the trade show Monday. I'm on a flight to go meet this guy. Wow. I had dinner with him and his wife that Monday evening. 
by Friday, we had a deal put together and uh, it took another couple of weeks to get it all executed. But I moved quick. When I finally knew I had a product that, that I have a list of attributes that I try to find in a product and it had it was tens across the board. Nice. And I was like, got to go hard at this, whatever it takes. He knew he had something big, six plus figures to get this one uh, under, under my control. But again, it's been an amazing partnership. And so we were four years in before we ever worked with Damon. Uh, so it was, it was us, him back in his workshop. And what was cool about this partnership particularly is John, John Murphy is his name, lives in uh, Minnesota and the smartest guy I've ever met. Mm. And yes, I know Damon and he's this guy's smart. <laughs> wow. He's that smart. He not only designed and built this product and the other one I'll show you, which is a private release, uh, hasn't even gone to the public yet. And I'll show you guys and you can show your audience a really cool nice. love handle pro teaser, but it's, uh, he built the automation equipment that we use to, because we needed to reshore our product. We had gotten some very frustrating and consistently frustrating product out of China mm. and uh, they kept cutting corners and I had to push a half a million dollars worth of product into the dump Ooh. because they cheapened the glue and there's not Walmart. You can't walk back over there with a receipt and stand in line and get a refund. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't wow. work that way. So um, we said, we just committed that day. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to find a way to make it here. And Johnny's like, he's just like, again, false confidence, but he comes through every time. Yeah. He's like, I can build that machine. No problem. The first it. two machines did not work at all. <laughs> the third machine kind of worked, and the fourth machine worked really good. Oh, and wow. so now we have three of those assembly machines that he designed and built. It's like Tinker toys up there. Yeah. But with Arduino circuits and 8020 and, and, <laughs> and each one of those machines can produce 1500 love handles in perfect quality an hour. An and hour. So we have the Ooh. ability now to produce 50,000 complete love handles, 100% American made. We sourced all of our elastic from Rhode Island, one of the last uh, textile plants in America. We partnered with them to get our elastic. We make the plastic bases here in Houston. The 3M comes from Minnesota directly, the same same place that the Boeing orders it from to build their airplanes. Yeah. And so we've taken all this stuff and we've created a 100% American-made product, and not for the reasons that are so great today, which is the drama between the U.S. and China, but because we wanted the ability to get it under our roof so we could make sure to make the best product so that we could put our brand on it and believe in it uh, but what we didn't realize at the time that would allow us to uh, navigate quickly because in China, you've got to say, okay, well, I want this, you know, Texas flag print, right? Well, how many do you want? Well, it's 30,000 minimum per design. So I'll take 30,000 and it'll be, they'll be here in six months, right? Yeah. How do I know if there's even going to be a demand for that in six months? Instead, I can custom print these on demand in small batch for, for your podcast or, for a local tire shop right. or for Samsung or Facebook who are all customers of mine mm -hmm. and Google, like whoever wants to get their brand seen wow. and, uh, or we can do like cute stuff like Kanye for president, you know, whatever, like <laughs> on trend, whether it's meme stuff or whatever, we can do that. And so, and then with a high quality and cheaper than I was paying in China. Wow. Because we've, automated and so i have a team of 26 people here and about half in manufacturing and half in production or in uh, sales marketing admin shipping and graphic design 
And uh, so all that's been a process, figuring out how to build a team. Like yeah. this was easy. I, my, cu- my, my customer would send me a purchase order for $400,000 worth of this product. I would the then weed, take that the same whacker. sheet of paper, mm-hmm. change the numbers, and send it over to China. And it would cost me about, and this is the pivot trim for people listening, the pivot trim. And I would flip it over, and I would take that purchase order, and I would send it over to China for $50,000. And I would keep three fifty, and I would ship it directly from China to my customer. It was a paperwork shuffle. Super yeah. easy. Very, very easy. Wow. This is way more complicated, but way more rewarding because there's people here a culture here, an excitement here that I never was able to create. And so now I feel like we're creating a brand that stands for something. We're partnering with charities all the time where we create a collection for, you know, folds of honor to, for, you know, fallen heroes for arthritis foundation for multiple sclerosis society, like on and on. And then we are now we're partnering with artists from around the world. I had a lady uh, this morning from the Philippines that turned in a bunch, or no, Thailand, that turned in a huge, really beautiful collection of designs that she had created for our product. And then we'll partner with her and feature her as a creator. So I'm trying to create a, like, take a, what was just a simple little product yeah. and create a community and create a platform for collaboration and so that it can become more and stand for more. And because it's such a common thing on the back of a smartphone and so mm-hmm. visible and people touch it and think about it every day. And so it's really exciting to go through this process and it gets me out of bed every day with excitement because there's going to be something new, some new challenge and something, something bad's going to happen. Something <laughs> good's probably going to happen too. So. <laughs> so, so how many are you selling, uh, say yearly? Uh, at this point we'll. Or what is it units, easier to go monthly? about 2 million units a year right now. Wow. Uh, but I'm shooting for 20 million next year. Um, so, and I think I can get there with a few of the things that we we're doing a test at CVS right now. So they have a lot of stores They're They're putting us in 10 stores in their headquarters in Rhode Island um, to test it. And I think it'll do well. Uh, we, we created a whole collection around the, what we call our love collection. And it's around, um, it's the anti-racism Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, it's again, it's on point, on trend. And so we've got a, a cool print that said racism with a red line, kind of like cancer with the yeah. line through it, right? So we got that. We got one that just says love, period. And a portion of proceeds from that, even at retail, go to support the George Thurgood, uh, you know, scholarship fund. And so they, and, and CBS is excited because they've never had a brand bring a, a fundraising retail product to them. And so they were excited about that too. So I feel like we're getting to be pioneers in ways and just see where it goes. So what, what got you to, okay. So you, you created the love handle or even the weed whacker idea when it came down to, Hey, now I've got to figure out how I'm going to produce this and, and uh, really scale it and everything, you know, there's gotta be a ton of research or did you know somebody that kind of pointed you in the right direction? It's, it's a different answer for each one, but typically we would just find somebody that knows, right? There's, there's somebody out there that knows whatever it is you need to know. Somebody out there knows it and probably they're on YouTube, uh, but if they're not on YouTube, then with a little bit of research and grit and charisma, you can find that person and you can, people want to share the information that they know. 
the knowledge that they bear. And especially if it's a win-win, you know, you like for the pivot trim, we found a manufacturer in our town and now could I have found a cheaper injection molder probably, but I wanted somebody I could learn from. Yeah. So we were there every single day watching our product get injection molded. We would watch the plastic beads get melted down and we started playing around with different levels of fiberglass. So you can mix fiberglass in with the nylon. We ended up, we use nylon, not regular plastic. So because it needed to be high impact, strong, you know, people are going to hit it on their concrete, right? Yeah. 12,000 RPMs. And so I started, we started learning with, and then we didn't put enough ribs in there the first time. So we started testing and it broke apart. Well, these guys were smart about that stuff. They're like, well, you need to put some reinforcements here and here and here and here. So that's what we did. Now it doesn't break anymore. Great. So there's an improvement. Oh, you need to stop using wood screws. You need to use this type of screw because otherwise it's going to, Okay, great. So we'll fix that too. And it's just one thing after another, after another, you're just, it's a constant improvement. And I always tell people like, you're on a hill, whether you think it or not, there's no flat roads. Even the Peloton guys are like, we're on a flat road. It's like, no, I'm pedaling here. <laughs> I'm, not flat, I'm not coasting. My road is a coast. Yeah. You know, so it's, you know, if you're not climbing then you're sliding backwards. So you just need to be constantly climbing. You know, when, when you told us that story about how you took the guy's idea, you know, the guy that already had the idea, it makes me think back in high school. We had a science project, and it was who could launch a golf ball uh, with a pendulum the farthest. So I grew up with a guy named Richard Powell at my church, and he invented a pitching machine that is now owned by King Griffey Jr. and the Academy and all this yeah. other stuff, right? Yeah. So. Uh, I got I got him right at the beginning, and he helped me build my little. It had to fit on the desk, and that's the biggest requirement. It had to be small and impact. Man, I crushed it. People were struggling to get you know ten yards, twenty yards. We were out on the field, and I said, "Somebody's got to go way back there to to catch this one because we're nowhere near." And so I went last, and we launched it, and it went 150 yards. It was nice. out of the park, and we were just like. <laughs> It was over. It was over. So uh, I stole his idea, but you know, hey. I didn't. I didn't get to scale it like you got to with your your companies here. But you found the right guy. That's exactly the point. Yeah. It's a perfect. Mm-hmm. Didn't cost me anything either. We just decided to break a whole bunch of stuff while we were testing it. So yeah, right. So so Mike, tell us just real quick. I mean, it sounds like you've got some really some really solid momentum going. What's uh, what's what do you see down the road for you? Well, for me personally, I'm, I'm excited about this, what we're doing right here, because I feel like I've got, if, if I don't share the story of my journey and hopefully inspire some other folks to take risks and put themselves out there, um, then it'll all be lost. And I also know that the cool thing is that with the digital media, this, this audio recording and video we have right now, I'm going to go ahead and wave because <laughs> one day my great, great grandchildren are going to get to see this Amen. and they won't have known me, but they'll kind of know me now. Yeah. And so how cool is that? So I want my next chapter to be storytelling, <clears throat> teaching, whatever it is. Like yesterday I had a class and they were, took a digital entrepreneur class. They were all over the country in middle schoolers. That's that awesome. were interested in Shark Tank and, and, and <laughs> entrepreneurship. And they had great questions, and they're extremely diverse. And so I was able to, you know, take my story. I, I have to bring the, the dialogue down a bit for them. 
but it's still the same story. And so it's, to me, it's exciting. I think there's probably a book and, you know, maybe more speaking and stuff, but uh, hopefully, hopefully I can be successful at that. Yeah. I think that that's, I've done a couple of career days at the, the kids' school down there and uh, I won't bore you with too many details, but like what you said with our children, you know, our own blood, they're listening to their parents. When I'm at the career day, I'm looking out at the, at the kids and I'm thinking maybe this is, you know, this little conversation about running your own business and believing in yourself. Like maybe this is the only time that these kids get to hear it, you know? So, so for you talking to these young entrepreneurs or, or kids, I mean, that might be the spark that, you know, 10, 15 years from now, they remember you. And, um, and we just never know the impact that we have. A, a little thing can go, can go so far. So that's really cool that you're doing that. So yeah, thanks. So uh, you've been very successful thus far and uh, it doesn't sound like it's going to end anytime soon, but at what point do you say enough is enough, it's time to retire, or is this just going to become an addiction the rest of your life? <laughs> you know, if I knew, I, I could tell you. <laughs> I really don't. I do know that I want to surf more than I've gotten to. I'm a, I love surfing. Can't do that uh, in Texas. I have got to go a lot, but I want to do more of it. And so I, I don't know if you guys have goals like written down that you that you look at, but this is anybody listening out there, it's a big core part of my I feel like my success formula, especially recently, because running a business at this scale, it can be exhausting if you don't reset yourself every day. And so every morning I get up early, I have a routine, you know, prayer, and I'm looking over my, uh, my goals. And, and as part of that, I'm, 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 you know, at the first time, it's just to like, there's a lot of different places I want to see in the world that I haven't loved to travel. And that's more about it. Just the experience, the cultural experience. My dad took me to Costa Rica when I was 15 to go surfing. Cause he liked surf too. He and my, took me and my buddies down there and it was the coolest experience in my life to date. And it really changed me and it. And it gave me this passion to and like, it broadened my mind to like see how other people live and to see that they have warm water year round. That's awesome. <laughs> and things like that, like, so I, I now I want to see all these new places and experiences and know that will take time and resources, especially the way that me and my wife like to travel, you know, some, somebody's got to sit up in the front, you know, yeah. so might as well be us. <laughs> and so, nice. so there's some of that involved, but in the end, I really am legacy focused, right? Like, so the last thing on my, on my list and my goals is that I'm going to lay on my deathbed knowing that I, I did the best I could with the time I had here. Yeah, love and that. if you start each day looking from that point back, now today's a gift, right? It's a bonus round, and so that gratitude is the best fuel that you can put into your soul. And so, I, to me, that's really important that I leave something behind, and that's why this digital media for me is I love it, and I'm kind of say uh, yes to anybody that wants to sit down and chat with me because. I, uh, I love it. And I, and I just think that we're all connected through here now and it's just a, we'll see where it goes, but, uh, I can't wait to see actually how it all rolls out. Yeah. Nice. So speaking of the digital though, uh, you know, social media and everything is really key for entrepreneurs. What are some of those strategies? Because Alton won't share anything with me and <laughs> it, it gets on my nerves. <laughs> 
So my, my advice on social, and I'm learning this myself, there's a couple of things. And I've actually exhibited and sponsored at the social media marketing world for the last five years. And every year I go there, I learn a lot. It's in San Diego. It's a great event. And what I've learned is that the more genuine you can be, the better off you are. Because if, if humans are good at anything, they're, they're good at spotting bullshit, right? <laughs> you just have to be yourself and not worry about judgment. Again, it's that false confidence. No, there's, it's all just confidence. What's your, some of the biggest influencers out there broke them all, like Gary V, right? You can't yeah. say that on camera, Gary. Yeah. Apparently you can. <laughs> Apparently you can. And you can you can become extremely famous by doing it. You know, and and there, there's a lot of examples in all kinds of but they were he was just being true to himself. That's who he was. He wasn't doing that to get your attention, because that's who he was. Yeah. And or he is. And so that's really important. And then also consistency. Like people, they need to hear from you regularly on an ongoing basis. If you want to be successful in digital and social, you need to be showing up. And I'm not even that good. I, I'm good at my Instagram story and that's about it. My main feed on my LinkedIn, I'm like, look at those and go, I should do more. I should do more, but I'm busy running a company. So maybe one day I can put all that together or get somebody on my team that helps me put that together. But it's a process, but that if you do those two things, be authentic and be consistent, then you're going to, you're going to find success. Yeah. Yeah. That's great stuff. So, so would you say Facebook's the way to go or is there a particular one you would shoot with or all? It depends on who you want to reach. Um, I would narrow it down to, you know, again, it depends on who you want to reach right in the, in this realm, in this professional realm, I would say LinkedIn is probably the best place you can be. And it's, it's both, it's for two reasons. One, that's where all the business minded people are. And two people, there's not that many people creating content on there. Yep. You know, you go to Instagram, especially you go to Facebook and there's people just piling content in there, like just constantly same thing in YouTube. It's just so deep. But you go to LinkedIn, like, and I'm not even that big a deal, right? But if I go put a video on LinkedIn, 50% of the time, it'll give me a notification a couple of days later that I'm trending in the top of entrrepreneurship. Yeah, that's that's really... That's because there just aren't that many players in the mm-hmm. game. Oh, and so good, there's good value insights. in that. If you're going after the really young crowd, TikTok, but I think that you got to have a certain, you got to be kitschy and you got to be lucky. <laughs> and I think the government might yank it anyway. So you yeah. may have it all wasted. So, Oh yeah. So uh, I think those are the main questions. Do, what do you have left Alton? I, I don't know. I think we're, I don't How are we on time? Well, we're coming up on the one hour. All right. Well maybe uh, let's, uh, let's do our deciding. You think anybody's going to be upset that we didn't talk about Damon John? Oh, uh, Damon John. No, we did. We did talk about him earlier. Did did you want did you want to go more in well, depth? Let me just paint a little two minute picture. You know, most people like I was had a dream that I was going to be on Shark Tank, and I was going to do it the tradi- like I was going to be on set and I was going to go pitch my product and we're going to make a deal and we're going to be happily ever after. And I got turned down twice in the second round. I made it through the first round of auditions into the second round of auditions and then got turned down to the second round, third round, you're on set, right? Mm-hmm. Almost made it two years in a row. 
And then one day, after all that distraught sadness, I check my website and there's an order from a company called the Shark Group on my website, which sounds like Shark Tank, but it's not. What is it? Google it. That's Damon John's company. He's ordering my product from my website. And so I took that opportunity to build a relationship with his team one by one by one, got them to love me, made a bunch of them with his book titles on there with his, every time he come up with a new book, I would make them some love handles and send them to him. And next thing you know, he was already using the product and it was a, it's a great product on its own without me, but he saw that effort. He saw that he loved the product and his team loved the product. And so he reached out to me and then that's how we made a deal. So I made a deal with a shark without going on the tank. And my goal, and I think I'm going to be successful is to be his number one investment, which he has the number one investment Bombas. So, but I still want to be his personal number one investment and still not have actually been on shark tank yeah. except backstage <laughs> but but then what would have happened if you'd have made it on the show maybe you would have been with mark cuban or something it'd have been texan and texan well now i mean i've had dinner with mark he's great but uh damon's my guy he is. damon okay. is the real i mean mark's real too right but damon is out there hustling he's coaching people in entrepreneurship he is like the dream mentor for me for my next you asked about my next step doing these things and like he's the dream mentor because he's doing this exact thing. He hits, he's right up there with Gary Vee in right, like this influencer right. space and, mm-hmm. and that whole community. Like I'm in it now. Yeah. Like I haven't earned my way into it yet, except through his path, but he respects me and um, I respect him. And so it's, I got to be family instead of an investment. Yeah. Grand. So oh, that's, that's super it's cool. been so much better. And, and if you are watching this on, on YouTube later, uh, <laughs> uh, Mike is not drinking on the job. He's actually got a funny little drink you've got there, right? We wouldn't kick him off. Yeah, people but. are, you know, inventors come to me all the time with their next big thing. And uh, so this is one that we'll give them a free plug here. It's called Java Twist. Wow. Um, Java Twist Lime, Limeade, and Coffee. That, so, so give us an, uh, we talked about authenticity, Mike. Give us an authentic comment on how limeade mixed with coffee taste because i love coffee and i love limeade but i'm kind of not so sure about this drink listen when i first tried it i was i my my taste buds said what happened you know like they didn't know the limeade is excellent. Like they're using some, I think they're using key limes in here. Mm. The sweet, the, I'm not sure what the sweetener is, but it's very mild. So it's very good. Cold coffee has its own kind of natural bitter. I don't care how you cold brew it or whatever. It's got kind of a little bit of a bitter to it. Mm-hmm. So you got that and it feels like it's two separate drinks in one. It's refreshing. And I, I do like the tape, taste of coffee. So it's refreshing where coffee has a difficult time being refreshing i think does it still wake you up it's 100 degrees in my warehouse right outside the store (laughs) i had one yesterday well i mean i that maybe testimony this is my third one so i must like them well enough and i like the effect of the caffeine and i don't mind the coffee flavor but i really like the lime and lemon so i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it like a seven out of ten which is way higher than i thought when i first heard that somebody decided to mix limeade and coffee so 
for the shop. Interesting. So maybe more of an acquired taste. Do you find yourself liking it a little more the more you drink it or? Yes, that's and that to, to my surprise. I actually want to buy some now. So Well, there you go. Well, we're going to have to come try it with you one day. Uh, <laughs> come on down. <laughs> so let's do this. We'll do the deciding factor, and then we'll end it with you sharing this other product you kept teasing us about earlier. Sound yeah, good? Sure. All right. So uh, it's going to be, uh, I guess I'll kick it off. We'll let Alton do it, and then you, you can follow us up at the end and tell us everything we did wrong in our, uh, our decision-making here. So it's what does it take to become or, or what? really makes you a successful entrepreneur. So, one sec. Now, it's time for our deciding factor. Gotta love the jams. Uh, <laughs> so, so, one thing you said at the very beginning, right? Uh, we started the show off. You said it was, uh, or your wife said it was false confidence, right? And uh, <laughs> I love your wife, by the way, already. I can tell. I like, I like yeah. her attitude. Is she, is she around or is she at home? She's at home. Yeah. A few miles away. Man, luck, she lucked out. She'll, she'll watch this. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so, so obviously the confidence has to be there. I think I've seen it, like you said, in, in Trump, you know, whether you like him or not, that's what he excels in is he's got confidence in anything he does, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. And it seems like you you did the same. The one thing I would add to that, though, is it seems like it's still that decision, right? And that's kind of what our show's always been about, is you make your decisions on companies, life, everything. The problem is, is you got to stick with them, good, bad, or indifferent. And then, as you said also in the beginning, is when something starts to go south, you've got to make the changes or you're going to end up really bad. So I would say those two things are probably the biggest factors in, in what I see to become a successful entrepreneur, because if, if you want to get past this wall that we talked about with the financing, you're going to have to be con- confident in your product. And then you've got to make that decision. You're going to do it no matter what you're going to ask whoever you need to ask and make those connections, including when you had to go to uh uh, to Damon or anyone else to build up to the next level of getting this product away from China into the U.S. That way you had more control and more scalability. So uh, that's that's going to be my deciding factors is confidence and decision-making. Yeah, I'm, I guess as far as speaking to, quote, successful entrepreneur, uh, I would say the areas that I've had to grow the most in through my journey or probably the the mental game of number one, the openness to kind of be wrong and fail and not get like tied up with this one way that I think it should work because that was how my plan was. And, and I guess in some ways just being open-minded to be like, okay, <laughs> I hit a wall there. I need to try something else. But then this also, um, and I'm just going to throw public schools under the bus here or whatever, but like this idea of perfection, you know, I've always wanted to do things the right way and that there's a right way and a wrong way and it has to be perfect. And I think that that really kept me from quitting my nine to five for a long time. And then even kind of that fear of failure again, in the mental space of not wanting to fail, I think uh, those things in, in a lot of ways have impeded me. So, 
those are the areas that I'm trying to grow in that I think are definitely helping me and my business is, you know, basically Alton has to grow and get my head, my head screwed on straight so that I can, uh, like you said, John, you know, take it, take it to that next level. What would you say, Mike? Yeah. Well, I don't know if I can answer this way, but you're both right. And I really wanted to pick one of you, but you really are both. You're both right. It's in, and you, in some ways you said the same thing that success is here, right. And not letting it be outside of you, you know, quitting or not, you're right. The, the, the school system today was built to make factory workers that are show up at a certain time and go home at a certain time. And they try to strive as much as they can to perfection and regurgitate, you know, facts that their supervisor already knows. And it comes back to them. Like, like that's what, and so that's going to, for a long time, that's going to be the people out there that are going to judge you or mm. accept you or not accept you. And so you understand that we're unicorns as much as we're, as entrepreneurs, we're revered and we're, you know, loved and all those things on Shark Tank. But at the end of the day, we make them feel uncomfortable too by going this way and breaking from the herd. And when you do that, you just got to understand that not everybody's going to understand you or your decision and why you're doing what you're doing. But if you, and not everybody has this, but if you have that voice inside you that says, I want more, I feel like adventurous, but I feel held back, but I've got this sense of security that I need that my parents taught me that I need to provide for my kids and my family. And the sense of security is all that matters. Then you need to take a second look because the biggest risk in life is to take no risks. Those will be the ones that you regret. When I talked about in your deathbed, you're laying there, you're looking back that I did the best I could with the time I have. You're not going to regret the risks you took. You're only going to regret the risks you didn't take and the chances you didn't take and what could have happened. That's what you're going to be thinking about. So don't let that happen. If you've got it in you, go out there and give it a shot. Know that you're going to make mistakes. You're going to bounce around, and that's part of the fun. It's part of the learning process. And in the end, it'll all be worth it. And if things go really well, then you can, you know, make your dreams come through, through experiences or just giving it all back to great causes, whatever it is that brings you joy. But you'll be able to do things you would never have been able to do inside of a structure that's only going to give you the minimum amount of what you need to stick around. And then you're going to find yourself old and without, you know, the fulfillment maybe that you could have had or the resources that you could have had in that same period of time or less possibly. So, yeah, oh, I love that. Love that. Mike. Thanks. I think, I think he won. <laughs> no, it was great. I feel like we need to well, go look, to I'm the workshop. Guys the grip, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Us. So this is the love handle pro and see if I can make sure you guys can see it a little bit wider. Now this is on a wallet case. I'm and little hint to what's coming later, but this is just a wallet case. It's actually, this company's from Austin, so um, oh, wow. they make these cases. Oh, okay. Yeah. But anyway. Hold, so people listening, it's here. a credit card, a holding device. It's like a plastic on the phone. phone case, right, With uh, mm -hmm. where you can slide your credit cards in the back. 
right? Yep. Is that describing it well? Yep. That's, that's exactly right. Slide your credit cards in. So now I, I haven't had a wallet in years because I just carry my, my stuff here, cash in the pocket, and I'm good to go. Always give me a pain in the back. But the grip that you're seeing, so I'll try to describe it. It's a little bit wider. So this one's I would say, is about an inch and a half wide. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's bow tie shaped, if you will, in a bit. And the, the difference with this one is not only is it a little bit bigger, a little more manly, right? But the key Ooh. is that it has a kickstand feature built in. Oh, that's what I need. Now you want to record a he got Instagram live or a TikTok video, or if you want to watch a YouTube video, you're ready to go. Plus it's magnetic, right? So I can stick it to anything metal or to our new mount. Check this mount. So you can put oh, this mount in your car, stick Look that on this. there, rotate wherever you want to do like that. Dang. And it comes right off and then you still can flip it around the back and, you know, hold a cold beverage or back over like, so strap is interchangeable. So you can actually swap the strap. It's just watch pins here. So you can change the strap out. It's like watch pins in the base. So you can oh, change it to cool. be a new style or change it from, you know, you put your Astros in today because it's opening day. Um, or whatever. Well, we're still hoping the Cowboys are going to beat the Texans. It'll launch on Kickstarter in about six weeks. And uh, we didn't talk much about Kickstarter, but that's a great way to launch because you're not giving up any equity. Uh, You're just Mm. taking pre-orders. And uh, my goal is to raise about $2 million on Kickstarter for this product. And that will allow us to set up all our automation, all our tooling, and then create us a, a mass of customers from day one. Look, Mike, I'm not even going to lie. I was waiting for the 1-800 number so I could <laughs> get my order. Call I, I, I mean, that was the whole thing I started talking about is I, I got the kickstand on my phone so I couldn't get your product. Well, Boom. now now I have no reason not to. Man, Mike's no got this reason whatsoever. Out. So, yeah, you guys will stay in touch. And, and it's, well, I'm going to need some early testers, you know, for the market. So. Yeah, you know what? I was also going to say, hey, Mike, let me critique this because that's a black one. And I want mine to have a Texas flag. And then, boom. Hey, just change it out. Just uh, swap it out. I'm still swap going with the deciding out. factor. He's winning. He's winning. I'm still going it. with the deciding factor. Okay. <laughs> well, Mike, it has been so much fun. I am so glad you joined us. Uh, I was really shocked that you were going to join us on the show, and it has been a, a great one, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. Mike's slumming it, but we, we appreciate you. And um, as a fellow Texan, it's good stuff. <laughs> Love having you on. I'll, I'll give you a giggle yeah, well, this time. <laughs> All right. Hey, I like that. Let's see, let's see that very often. <laughs> All right. You have a good one. And, uh, I really enjoyed the, the time with you guys. Absolutely. Everybody listening, thanks you, thank you for listening. And uh, make sure you click like and subscribe to everything. And we'll talk to you all soon. This has been another episode of The Deciding Factor giving you food for thought on real life issues be sure to click like and subscribe to this podcast as well as all your big social media outlets facebook youtube and instagram don't forget to check out our website at the deciding and give us comments and feedback until next time stay safe and remember to keep an open mind